can have a, you can be seated. Uh, you may have noticed uh, in your information card, uh, in your bulletin that you came in, uh, got when you came in, you have an information card in your bulletin. Uh, we'd love to have a record of your attendance, by the way. I didn't forgot to say that during the introduction, but one of the things on that card that I want to kind of point out to you is that there's a place on that card uh, for you uh, to put prayer requests and prayer needs. And uh, our vision here at Northwest is that we want to be a growing family that's journeying together to be more like Jesus. And part of that is praying for each other. So I want you to know kind of what happens when you fill out that card and you write your prayer request in is on Monday morning, uh, that list uh, gets texted to all of our elders and all of our staff. And so I just want you to have confidence in knowing that that you're being prayed for. Uh, You're you're very much loved and and you're being prayed for. The things you specifically ask for, uh, this church, uh, the leaders of this church are joining you and lifting those things up. So uh, you'll find offering trays by each of our doors on your way out, kind of how we're collecting offering right now, and you can leave that card right in there. Uh, and uh, Melissa, our um, uh, secretary, will get that, and tomorrow morning she'll text those needs out. So if you, have, if there, if you came in here with a heavy heart, put that on that card, please. We, we would love to be uh, lifting that situation up and praying for you. So uh, let's go ahead and pray now, and uh, then we'll get into the message, right? Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you uh, for Jesus. We thank you for his grace. And uh, I especially want to thank you uh, for this season that we're getting ready to enter into, a season of uh, resurrection and season of grace, that we would just um, have our hearts directed uh, to Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection, and that we would be encouraged by it, and that we would remember it well. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. When it comes to uh, any kind of reward in our house or blessing or generosity or gift, I will tell you, uh, my kids, they're uh, 10 and 4, my kids are Johnny on the spot about fairness, all right? Um, They become the fairness police. When Cheryl and I are practicing generosity uh, toward one of them uh, or kindness or just blessing them in some way, uh, we, we are on the fairness train immediately, right? Uh, they, they have a way, and if you have multiple kids, you know, they just kind of have a way of keeping track, right? If one of them gets a snack, they both want a snack. If one of them gets some additional TV, they, they both want additional TV. And if one of them wants a gift, uh, the other one for sure wants a gift. We were on a vacation, and uh, we had some gift cards to build a bear workshop. And uh, my son, Sam, he's just kind of on the line of being able to do that anymore. So we had gift cards for each of them. But we had said to Sam, listen, um, let's let your sister use the gift cards and we'll kind of take the money from that gift card and you can do something else. And he, he loved that idea. And so we walked into the Build-A-Bear and Cheryl, or, or Lila, excuse me, I'm a four-year-old, uh, immediately saw what she wanted. She saw in a display uh, what, what she wanted. And there were a lot of different parts um, to this particular stuffed animal. And uh, so lots of shoes, lots of you know roller skates that attach to the shoes. And we had some gift cards to offset it, but we, we got the whole thing done. And Cheryl came up to me uh, with the gift cards that were gonna offset it, not pay for it in totality. But um, she hands me the gift cards and she says, hey, just FYI, I never want to know how much this cost. <laughs> Ever. She said, do not ever let me know what we just paid for this stuffed animal. I said, all right. But I, I've made enough sassy comments about it that she knows it's a lot, all right? Um, you know, my, I was like, excuse me, right? I've never paid that for a stuffed animal in my life. But anyway, I digress. So 
uh, Sam, Sam overhears this exchange and his fairness meter goes off. And he's like, well, how much was that? I said, well, if, if I'm not telling mom, I'm not telling you. And, and he's like, well, I, I'd really like to know. I know you would. I can tell that you would. And he's like, I, I just want to know how much it costs. I said, Sam, the, what this costs is going, to me, is going to my grave. I'll have a final document that says, in my will, please let Sam know it was this. All right. But beyond that, it, it's going to be my death before you find out what we paid for this. And I could just tell his fairness meter was going off. He's like, whatever you spent on that stuffed animal, I expect you to spend it on me. And you know what happened to that stuffed animal, by the way? We got it home. Lila played with it for a couple hours, and it's been on our staircase, our stairwell ever since. It's just sitting there. And every time I walk by that thing to go to the bedroom, I'm bitter, right? I'm like, play with it. Play with it. You know, but she's just lost interest in it. And it was gift cards, so it's all, it's all good. But we, we have that fairness uh, we have that fairness hat. And so when my kids are being blessed, when we're being generous with them, they're all about fairness. Let me tell you when they're not about fairness, in discipline. Not a single time have I, every once in a while in our house, they're playing in the back room and one of them will start to yell and then one of them will start to scream and things are kind of getting out of control and we'll go back there and not a single time has said, you know what, dad? One of, neither one of them has ever said, we're both at fault. Things escalated, they got out of control. We think you should punish us the same. That's never, ever happened in my house. I don't know about yours, not, not one time, right? Punish us both, it's the only right thing to do. So we're gonna be in Matthew 20 over the next few minutes. And here's the question I wanna ask you as we start. Is God fair? Right? When you think about God's attributes, he's holy, he's righteous, he's omnipotent, all-powerful, uh, omnipresent, he's everywhere. When you kind of think about these attributes of God that we know and we celebrate and all that stuff, is, God, is fairness a part of who God is, especially when it comes to, to blessing? Is God the parent that's like, well, I did it for him, so I have to do it for her, or I did it for her, so I have to do it for them. It is fairness a driving force with, with God? And I'll tell you, it doesn't feel that way when you evaluate life, right? Because you'll have two followers of Jesus, both faithful, and one has this job and the other has this job. One earns this and the other earns that. One is a picture of health and one tends to struggle their entire life. Is God fair in the way that he gives? Uh, that's kind of what our story is about today and kind of a question. I want to kind of give you a heads up on where we're going. Um, I think God is better than fair, to be honest with you. I think there are some attributes that describe God that are even better than fair. But let me show you this story first in uh, Matthew 20. The kingdom of heaven, and remember, uh, kind of covered this earlier, but this is like the story Jesus tells right before the, the final week unfolds. And here's what it is. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them to his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard. I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and, at, and about three and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and still found others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? No one's hired us, they answered. He said, you also go work in my vineyard. 
When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last one hired and going to the first. The workers who were hired at about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. And so when the others who were hired first saw this, they expected to receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only an hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for Daenerys? Take your pay and go. I want to give to the one who was hired last the same as I gave to you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. So is God fair? We think that we want God to be fair, but as this story unfolds in a few minutes, I think we're gonna cover this point later, but I don't think fairness is exactly what we're looking for from God, more on that in a few minutes. But here's my question. What if God is better than fair? Right, you say, what on earth is better than fair? What if he's generous? What if he's graceful? What if he's kind? What if he's loving? This story reveals about God, the landowner in the story, that he is an incredibly generous God, which is better than being fair. It's the picture of a boss who continues to invite people way late into the day to work in his vineyard at the, uh, at the end of the day. And he doesn't have to do that. God, the, the landowner doesn't have to repeatedly come back and hire people hour after hour after hour. He doesn't have to do that. It's generous. And we see God in the story. The last couple of years, uh, we've been studying the book of Genesis. And, and we're, seeing it the, we're seeing it in Genesis, the beginning of God's relationship with Israel. And Israel was this nation that God chose. And he said, I'm going to invite them first. They, they, were the, they received the first invitation by God to be his people and to follow him and to have him be their God. He invited them and through Jesus and eventually the early church, here's the great thing about your God. He kept inviting, right? He's an inviting God. So he keeps inviting and inviting and inviting and it starts with Israel and it goes all the way through to you and I. We also are invited to the vineyard. We're also invited to the king. We're invited to be in relationship with him. And I, for one, am glad that he did. I told you the story about my parents uh, came to Christ right around the year I was born. And uh, they came to Christ because of a local church that was going door to door. And it really shouldn't work. The strategy shouldn't work, but it did with my parents. And uh, they came to Christ. But my grandfather had been kind of a lifelong, uh, also right up until the time my sister and I were born, he'd been a lifelong alcoholic. And he had given that up um, several years before, but he just had no interest in God at all. And what we ended up seeing in our family is that God invited my parents into a relationship with him, but the invitation didn't stop there. And he kept inviting my grandfather and inviting my grandfather and inviting my grandfather. And finally, through kind of a health crisis, I watched my grandfather come to Christ around the age of 70. But it only happened because of our inviting God. So in this story, we see a master that invites generously. He, he invites and invites and invites and invites. And you probably have some stories like that in your family background as well, where you're like, I'm glad he doesn't just invite once and go home. I'm glad he keeps coming and coming and coming. He's a God of the invitation. So in this story, we see a master that invites. In this story, we see a, a master that keeps his promises, 
right? He did exactly what he promised to do in, in this story. And sometimes it's a little bit harder to see generosity when someone does what they promised all along they would do, but it's still generous nonetheless. So if someone were to say to you, hey, listen, I'm expecting some things to change for me. And at the end of the year, I'm gonna give you a million dollars, right? Right now, you know, it's beginning of April, end of December, I'm gonna give you a check for a million dollars. Hopefully at the end of the year, you would not receive that check for a million dollars and say, well, he's just doing what he promised to do. Right? No, your heart would be overwhelmed with gratitude and God will always, as the master, he will always do what he promises to do and it's his grace that causes him to do that. So he promises to always be with us. It's an amazing promise. He promises to never leave us or forsake us. He promises to prepare a place for us. He promises to forgive us of all our sin in Christ. He promises to give us the power and strength to make it through another day. And he will always do what he promises to do, always. So is God fair? Well, I think he's better than fair. He's gracious. He's kind. He's loving. So this story reveals some things about our generous God, but that's really not what the story's about. The story is about some things that this story reveals about us. Because you know what's true about these workers? Right? The, 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 the earliest ones that were hired and then all the way till five o'clock when the last ones are hired, what, the, what is revealed in this story about them is that they don't want fair. They articulate that they want fair. But as the story unfolds, really what they want isn't fair, it's more. And it's revealing something about our hearts and about our minds, especially those of us that have followed Jesus from early on for a long period of time. Let me show you in the story. All right, so the, the last group comes in and they get the same pay that was promised to the first group. And so that first group is watching this generous thing unfold and they're like, well, if he's paying the guys that came in at five, a Daenerys, then what is he gonna do for those that have been here all day? And he gives them uh, the exact same pay and the first group sees how generous the master's been and here's how the text reads it in verse 10. They expected to receive more. They expected to receive more because they had been there longer. They had worked harder. They had been more faithful. They expected more. Now, before we're too hard on them, let me try to modernize this just a little bit because I think any of us would react this way. I want you to pretend for a moment that I've decided the interior of my house needs to be painted, the, the entire house, the, the whole inside of the house. We've got a lovely Spartan green that we're gonna do the in, complete inside of our home. All right, and uh, Cheryl's not here this morning. I don't know if she's watching online, but I just made this decision, all right? So <laughs> I say to you on a Sunday morning, hey, listen, come over to my house after church, paint the inside of my house, a Spartan green, and I will pay you at the end of the day $100. And you say, sure. Church gets done at 11. You follow me home. You start painting. And if I'm honest, you're kind of slow painters, just to be honest with you, all right? You're kind of slow. 
It's not going very fast. And so I come back at five when youth group's happening, right before youth group starts. I come back at five and I say to Scott, hey, could I hire some of the youth and some of the workers to come paint my house? You are not gonna believe the adult service. I mean, it's taking forever. Um, and uh, so they come over at 5.30 to paint. And at eight o'clock, two and a half hours later, it's done. And I start handing out the money. And the adult workers and the students that showed up at 5.30, I give them $100 and you're watching this unfold. You've been here since 11. You're gonna expect to receive more. You've worked harder. You've been more faithful. You've been listening to my cheesy jokes all day long, right? So I deserve more. And I think sometimes those of us that have been following Jesus for a while, it's very easy. We can start to walk around with an attitude of more. Let me say it another way, a more kind of pop culture way of saying it. We walk around with a feeling of entitlement. That God owes us for our faithfulness. He owes us for our obedience. He owes us for our church attendance. He owes us for our financial gifts. God, I taught Sunday school for 20 years, right? Lord have mercy. I've done it for 20 years. You owe me. It's only fair. And I think we forget three things. I, I knew this was going to be a little tense, so just please allow me, allow me grace. But I think we forget three things. One is that God has already been incredibly kind to us. Right? Those of us that came early in the morning to, to work all day in the vineyard, um, the, the master's going to do exactly what he promised to do. But even beyond what he promised to do, the master's been kind to you and the master's been kind to, to me. Um, I, we're getting ready to celebrate this season where we remember that he gave his son his one and only son, whom he loves for our salvation so our sins could be forgiven. He's done a lot for us. And what last thing we wanna fall into is the yeah, but trap. Yeah, but is a disease that my children have. And I'll, it goes a little bit something like this. It's a, it's a terrible condition, all right? Where I'll say, man, I thought I told you to finish your dinner or to be nice to your sibling or to pick up your toys or to stop back talking to your mom. I, was, I thought I told you to do that. Yeah, but. Yeah, but. Yeah, you told me that, but, and, and we never want to fall into the yeah, but trap because it's very difficult to cure. Trust me. Um, we don't want to get into this zone where God says, you know, I've been pretty kind to you. I've given you my son, my one and only son to die for your sins. And we say, yeah, but. I was kind of expecting that promotion. I was kind of expecting a bigger paycheck. I was kind of expecting a easier or better marriage. I was kind of expecting whatever fill in the blank. And we just want to remember, it's okay to want more. As a matter of fact, there are places that describe God as a God of more. It's okay to want more. Don't lose sight of what he's already done. Even beyond giving his one and only son, those of you that have uh, that were early to the party or midday to the party and you've been working in the vineyard, you feel like for a long time, even people in that situation, even outside of his son, I think every single person in this room, if we pass the microphone, could identify some ways in which God has been good to you, even beyond the gift of his son. Say, man, you know, the, the gifts he's given me are different than the gifts he's given this person or that person or the other person. They live in a house that's like this. I live in a house. But even beyond all that, I can see how God has been so kind to me, so gracious to me, and so good to me. And here's what happens. When we forget grace and that everything we have is grace, when we forget grace, what ends up happening is that entitlement leads to grumbling with God. You see it in the text. 
when they received it. They received their pay that was promised to them all along. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. They'd received what he promised to give, but they can't celebrate it because they've become a people of more. That I deserve more or I want more or I'm entitled to more because I showed up early in the day. So the second thing we forget, the first thing we forget is that God has been very, very good to us. The second thing we we forget is that our righteousness is not as impressive as we think it is. Welcome to Northwest, right? So our righteousness is not as impressive as we think it is. Isaiah 64 says, all of our righteousness is polluted as filthy rags. And so I think it's easy to see this when we fail to live up to our own standards, right? When we're kind of backed into a corner and we end up telling the lie or stealing or misleading or whatever we end up doing. And I don't know about you, but I've sometimes had the feeling of, man, I thought I was beyond this or I thought I was better than this or I didn't think I still had that in me. And it's easy to kind of see that, that sin in that moment. I think it's harder to see when we do the right thing but we do it for the wrong reason. Anyone ever feel like that? Like, man, I serve the person or I love the person or I, or I did whatever, but at the end of the day, I did it to gain something. And I think it's harder to see our sin in that moment, but we all have these moments where our sin is kind of laid before us. And here's where we want to get, and here's what I want to remind you of. I don't want to remind you of how bad we are as people. I want to remind us of how good God is in his grace. In that moment when our sin is laid before us and the spirit convicts us, or we just see it for ourselves, that we thank God for his grace because while I'm not as righteous as I want to be or I think I am, his grace toward my sin is also greater than I think it is, right? And that's a wonderful thing. His kindness is deeper. His grace extends further. His love is uncontained. And so while I screw up and while you screw up and while our sin is at times enormous, understand this, his grace is bigger. His grace is more enormous. And that is a lovely and beautiful thing. Last thing I want to say that we sometimes forget, not, I don't want to give you false hope, not the last thing in the sermon, the last thing in this section, right? Is that we really don't want fair from God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That's the price, that's the cost, that's what's fair. God broke from fair when he gave his son, his one and only son to take our place. And he died so we don't have to. He died so we could be forgiven. He died so we could receive grace. And it's not fair to Jesus. He was innocent. It's better than fair. It's kind. It's gracious. And it's loving. So we forget everything we have is a grace. He gave his son, but even beyond his son, he's given us so much more. Everything we have is a grace. Our obedience didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. It's grace, and I think it's easy to forget. And when we forget, it leads to grumbling against God. We feel like we're entitled to more, or that he has somehow shortchanged us, or he's let us down, or he should have done more because we have done more, and all of those traps that these people fell into. It leads to grumbling against God. It also leads, and this is the rest of the sermon, toward resentment toward others. Others. You'll see this uh, when the first group uh, is, uh, th- th- this is what the first group that was hired, they say all the blessings coming down to the later groups, and here's what it says. Though, this is, here's, here's what they say to the landowner. 
Those who were hired last worked only one hour. Are you kidding me? And you have made them equal to us that have borne the burden of the work and in the heat of the day. You hear the grumbling? They don't understand grace, guys. They don't understand kindness. They don't understand generosity. They understand, I know what I deserve. I know how long I have been serving and how good I am. I enjoy, they have this kind of false narrative that I should enjoy good things because I am a good person. And then in juxtaposition to them is, I know what they deserve. When I read the headlines of the newspaper, when I see what's happening in the world, when I see what my neighbor's up to, I know what I deserve and I know what they deserve and we are not equal. But can I say something in love? Grace does make us equal. The grace of our Savior absolutely levels the playing field. Grace makes us equal, equally loved, equally forgiven, equally died for, equally secure. Grace makes us equal. So there's no longer any us and them. It is we are all equal because of grace. We are all sinners. We are all in need of grace. God has been kind to all of us. He's offered his son to each and every one of us. We are equal because of grace. So there's no longer any, I deserve this because I've done this and they deserve this because they haven't. We are just equal. So I used to have this job years and years and years ago. Longer and longer ago every year. That's how time works, I believe. All right, so, all right. And I used to travel around for this job and I got to visit a lot of churches. And every once in a while, I would go to a church and it was like, there was this attitude, a palpable attitude you could feel when you entered the building of we are equal. We are equal. We are all sinners, equally sinful and equally saved. We are equal. The cross makes us equal. And you could just walk in and you could feel it. That man, we are all sinners, saved by the grace of our Lord. And worship was incredible. The demeanor of the people was incredible. The attitudes were incredible because everybody was just in there going, sinners saved by grace. It is what is true for every single one of us. That happens sometimes. Other times I would enter into a church and there was a palpable attitude when you walked in that some people were seen or perceived as better or up here and everybody else was down here. And it's, it was always interesting in the churches to kind of see what caused that discrepancy to happen. So in some churches, when you got to know that church a little bit, in some churches, it would be like money. That you'd walk in like, man, people with money, they're up here. Everybody else is kind of down here. For some, it was like celebrity. There was like a, a local celebrity culture in some churches where it's like, man, you walk in and this person's kind of like a big deal in the community and they're kind of seated in the front row and they're up here and everybody else is, is down here. Um, sometimes it was power. Just, um, man, people had arrived to positional power in the organization and they were kind of, those that made the decisions were up here and everybody else was down here. Uh, in a couple churches, which was kind of weird, it was just like um, kind of attractiveness. That's like, man, everybody around here is like really good looking. It's weird, right? <laughs> right, you, you know, especially when I'm in the audience, it starts to feel weird, right? Um, but you know what it was in most churches? Most churches, it was those that had been there the longest. Those that arrived to work to the vineyard 
the earliest. And there was a subtle attitude, you'd never hear it said out loud, obviously. But there was a subtle attitude of we are the faithful, we have endured, we have worked the longest. And those churches, they tended to be very subtly hostile toward outsiders. And they have forgotten one of the most important lessons in all of scripture. Grace makes us equal. Grace makes us equal. There's no up here, there's no down here. Grace makes us equal. We are equal as sinners and we are equally saved. Through Jesus, we're equal. So I'm telling you, helping churches grow is a multi-million, even billion dollar industry. I'm telling you, it's just true. But this is one of the things that's holding church after church after church back. It is the failure to see, celebrate, and articulate grace beyond ourselves. It's a refusal to get excited about it for them. It's a refusal to get excited about it for them, but only to be excited about it for me. And it's uh, what, what causes us to not be excited about it is the mentality you see in this scripture, because I then God, right? Because I am holy, because I am righteous, because I've served in middle school ministry for 30 years, God kind of owes me. And we would never say it out loud. I'm talking about a mentality. God kind of owes me additional kindnesses and grace. Do you have any idea what I put up with in middle school ministry, Right? And the flip side of this is a judgmental spirit that says, because you, then God. Because you engage in this certain sin. Because you engage in this certain behavior. Because you are a sinner. You know, in the New Testament, people are always categorized as tax collectors. I always felt bad for tax collectors, but tax collectors and sinners. Right? They had these two categories that were extraordinary. That if you engaged in either of these two occupations or, or received one of these labels, it's because you then God. God could never love you. God could never accept you. God could never show you grace because you. And we forget that grace isn't because I then God. It's not because you God won't. Grace says because. Because Jesus. Because he loves us because he's kind to us, because he wants us to be forgiven, he has extended to us his gift of grace. And I shouldn't just be excited about it for me, I should be excited about it for everyone, because we're equal. Grace makes us equal. Jesus tells another story in the Gospels uh, that I think is relevant to this story, and it adds a layer to it. He tells a story about two sons, and one son goes to the father and really, really insults him and says, I want my inheritance early. Essentially, you're not dying fast enough. Could I get the, could I get the cashier's check, right? Um, could you give it to me a little bit early? And the father decides to engage the son in this request, and he gives him the money, and it says the son went to a far-off land, and he engaged in wild living. And eventually, a famine strikes the land. The son has no money. He has no friends. He's not sure what to do. And finally, after kind of finding himself living in a pig trough, he decides to go home to the father. And while he's walking home to the father, his father sees him, is filled with compassion, runs to him, and in this amazing moment, the father decides that he is going to throw a party for his son because he's returned. Here's how Luke 15, 24 says it. This son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So that's son number one. But this is a story about two sons. 
There's another son that observes all this and he is the older brother. He arrived first, right? He arrived first. We're not told the age difference, but as the older brother, he arrives to the family first and the party is happening and he sees that the party is happening and he refuses to go in. And the father comes to him and says, man, your brother left us. He nearly died. He's back again. Please come into the party. Why won't you come into the party? And here's what the older brother says. He says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your order. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends because I then God. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fat and calf for him because he, you shouldn't. Right? And this is the essence of legalism. Because I, God, should. Because you, he shouldn't. And neither understands grace fully. Do you hear it? Entitlement, grumbling, resentment, and anger. And here's what the father says. My son... You're always with me and everything I have is yours. I've been better to you than you think I've been. We had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, earlier it's this son of yours, now it's not this brother of yours, your brothers, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. You know what the older brother's problem was? couldn't celebrate kindness and grace and goodness beyond himself because he didn't understand it. He thought he received good things because he was good. He received good things because the father is good, right? And I think you and I have to understand the same thing, that he has this kind of works mentality of because I, father, should, because my brother, father, should not. And he has this kind of works mentality and he fails to see the essence of the character of his father, which is the father is good. You know why the father's been so good to you? You know why the father's been so good to me? And why if we can remove the blinders and kind of get past, well, I've been working longer, I should have received, we can get past all that. You know why he's so good? Because he's so good. He's not been good because I'm good. He's not been good because you're good. He's not been good for any of those reasons. He's good because he's good. And so we want to learn to celebrate grace beyond ourselves. You know why you never, ever, ever hear a sermon on celebrating grace for you? Because no one struggles with it. (laughs) It would be a waste of 20 minutes, right? Let's celebrate God's grace for us. Everybody does that. It's not a challenge. We need to learn to grow beyond ourselves and celebrate grace for them. Here's how Paul says in Ephesians. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great, because of the great love with which he loved who? Us. He loved us. Not just me, he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. 
This is not your own doing. It is not because I then God and because they then God should not. It is not, it's not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one can boast. And I am telling you, the dam will break in Decatur, Illinois, when grace isn't just for me, it's for them. When I realize that God isn't good to me because I'm good. God isn't kind because I'm righteous. God isn't graceful because I've worked hard. He's not good because I'm good. He's good because he's good. And he's not just good to me, he's good to us. And he wants to show that grace to this community. And so it is of no surprise to me that right before Jesus enters into this final week, right as he's going into Jerusalem, it is no surprise to me he tells this story. And he's saying to his primarily Jewish uh, compadres, his friends, his disciples, he's saying to them, I'm not done inviting yet. I've invited you to follow me for three years. I've invited you to love me. I've invited you to walk with me. I've invited you to experience my grace. I'm not done inviting yet. Watch what I'm about to do. And watch this entire world receive an invitation to know their God, receive his grace, and walk with him in, for, in this life and in the next. I'm not done yet. And so Easter's in two weeks. And I want us to fall in love with grace. Like I said, not for, not for you. Uh, we don't struggle with that as much. We, we need to love grace for ourselves, but not just for you, although we don't struggle with that. I want us to fall in love with grace for our community. And to not have as much righteous anger that is destroying us from the inside out and have more righteous sorrow that they haven't accepted Christ yet. They don't know him yet. They're not following him yet. And allow that sorrow to become love and allow that love to become an invitation to him. And so I just want us to pray over the next few weeks that we would understand, receive, and revel in his grace, and that we would just pray for opportunities. Easter's like the, the deal, the message. Uh, but we wanna uh, ask God for opportunities to invite people to know him, to invite people to love him, to receive his grace, because they've been invited to do that. God is a God of the invitation. He's invited them to do that, and that they would receive it fall in love with it, not just for them, but they'd fall in love with it for their whole family, their community, and the, all those they come in contact with. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. And man, we, we just scratch the tip of this. It's so hard for us to understand because our human mentality wants to say, because I, you, And our human mentality wants to say, because they, you should not. But grace kind of makes us equal. Equal in our sin. And equal in grace. And an equal opportunity to know you. We have to receive it, to be sure. But an equal opportunity to know you. And so I pray that in our church that there would never, and I, I don't think there is, but th that's for you to tell us that there would never be a hint of um, better, 
There'd never even be a hint of up here and down here that we would be one of those churches that people walk in. I'm like, man, it's equal. Everybody's equal. We thank you for Jesus and his grace as we celebrate that over the next few moments. Be with us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We're going to receive communion uh, together right now, and it's an opportunity uh, to celebrate grace for us and for them, and just to thank God for what he's done, and to thank him for his goodness, that this isn't a time for us to kind of share our resume, right? That, that man, we're, I'm going to share uh, everything that I've done this week and why I deserve that. That's not what this time is. This is a time to celebrate everything he's done. Uh, for us. So they'll pass uh, the communion trays out. You can grab uh, two cups stacked on top of each other. Uh, and uh, then I'll come back up and we'll receive it all together as a church family. His body given for you. His blood poured out. God, we thank you for your grace through your son, Jesus. You've been so good to us pray that we would love it not just for ourselves, but we'd love it for our community as well. Uh, that we would be a people that sees, honors, and celebrates grace, and that we would see that we're equal because of your grace. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Hey, we're going to uh, sing one last song if you want to stand up. Uh, normally, uh, I like to kind of highlight uh, the next Sunday, but I'm not going to do that because of the wordle thing. So, uh, you can kind of figure that out. Um, a new uh, game will drop Thursday. Hope you play along and um, we'll, uh, we'll continue on in this series uh, next Sunday, just preparing our hearts and our minds for Easter. God bless you guys.